bless the Lord. Just bless the Lord. Just bless him where you are. Just bless him where you are. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Just bless the Lord. I can't bless them for you. I can't bless them for you. You got to bless them for yourself. You got to lift them up for yourself. You got to acknowledge them for yourself. You got to thank them for yourself. You got to praise them for yourself. You got to say glory, hallelujah for yourself. You need to lift Jesus up for yourself. I will bless your name. 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 Get a little hand clap of praise today. Hallelujah. 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 I think somebody came to bless the Lord this year. We got a few folks who know. know what the Lord has brought them through. You know that the Lord didn't have to bring you through. But he did. But he did. And you may be in here and it's not quite understanding why folks Screaming and shouting, that's okay. That's okay. But I'm going to tell you how the saints used to tell me, just keep on living. Just keep on living. Just keep on living and you will see just why he's worth it. Just keep on walking with Jesus. And he'll show you why he's worthy of our affection. Just keep on having a little talk with Jesus. And he'll show you just why he can be trusted. Why we can run to him. Just keep on living. I ain't been living that long, but I know. Had it not been for the Lord on my side. Oh, Forrest, where would we be? Had not the Lord showed up in the nick of time, where would you be? Had he not showed his face to you and your family, where would you be? I'm so glad. That the Lord chose to show up and to show his face unto us. Amen. Well, greetings unto you, beloved. As we are gathered here at the church at Forest Baptist, 
And I would like to be uh, one of the first you hear from the pulpit say, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And as the Lord has brought us into a new year, we're grateful for new opportunities like this morning. Just to pause and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You didn't have to do it, but you did. New opportunities to praise his name. Praise God for our praise team who has led us and worshiped thus far. We're grateful for them. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for those who comprise the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ who continue to lift up and pray for one another, encourage one another, and just be there for one another. May we continue to do just that. Amen? Amen. Well, I want Terry Long. We're going to get right at it this morning. Next week, we will return to our study in the Gospel of Matthew. And we will begin to explore the greatest sermon ever preached. Beginning in Matthew, the fifth chapter, we will begin to explore uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I was I was hyped. I, I was ready to go today. I was, Lord, I, I've, been, I've been waiting to preach through this. This is just so exciting. And, and Thursday afternoon, the Lord said, hold up. I got something else for you. I was like, for real, Lord, it's Thursday afternoon. I mean, it ain't even early Thursday, Lord. I mean, he said, yeah, I got something. So this week, I would like to direct your attention to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Because on the calendar of life, the, the new year provides us with a great opportunity for new beginnings. We're reminded of this opportunity for new beginnings uh, just out of the sheer number of commercials and internet ads we have for uh, things such as exercise equipment, gym memberships, meal subscriptions, and, and all kinds of diets. And uh, from what's being marketed in front of us, you would think our only concern here as a nation is just over weight loss. We don't care the government shut down. I just want to lose some weight. Well, like, we don't care about nothing else. I'm looking at the TV. I'm like, what's Peloton? Like, what is that? Why are these people on these bikes in their houses? Don't nobody want to ride their bikes outside anymore. Then I begin to remember and to think about all the rages in years past. Remember Tybo? Tybo was all the rage. Little kids dressing up like Billy Blanks for Halloween. Everybody wanted to do Tybo. In your house right now, I know somebody in here got a Bowflex in their house right now and is serving as an extra closet just to hang your clothes on. You remember the, the Thigh Master? Things like uh, P90X and, and even more recently things like CrossFit. Or, or do you remember sweating to the oldies with Richard Simmons? I don't know what he was doing, but it was sweating. I got a membership to plant. I got one of them $10 memberships to plant. I got a one of those good good deals. You know, you see, oh, that's a good deal. $10 a month? I can do that. I, I, I bought this last January. I went once last year. They done got me for $120. Like, man, I ain't been back since. But, beloved, the truth is, deep down, we all want to look back. Deep down, we, we all want to feel better about ourselves. And sure, yeah, losing, losing some weight may help in a sense. And, and, and certainly a, there are obvious health benefits to a healthy lifestyle, a, a life of moderation. Healthy living in itself, it 
it does allow us to pursue certain goals and fulfill certain purposes in our lives. Yet on this Sunday, beloved, I propose that in the new year, we become just as, if not more so, concerned about our insides as we are with our outsides. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews, the 12 chapters. We're simply looking at two verses this morning, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews, the second chapter, if you would, if you are able, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 1 and 2. And the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. That's the key of the whole text right there. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He disregarded the shame. He, it wasn't too much for him. It didn't bother him. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I just want to tag the text before us this day. Losing the weight. Losing the weight. Let us pray. Pray. Heavenly Father, I do come before you right now asking that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that you would give us incredible insight into your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give me clarity of speech, that you would give me liberty in this pulpit, to speak your word. Father, I ask that you would provide for each and every one of us today illumination into this revelation we have received by inspiration. And that you would tra change us and transform us from the inside out. And may your word not return void. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So, beloved, can I just start 2019 by getting into your business just a little bit this morning? Just a little bit. And I want to get into your business just with one question. And the question is, what weight do you need to lose this year? What weight do you need to lose this year. No, I'm not talking about pounds. I'm talking about sin. The author of Hebrews points out that, that there is a race set before us to run. There's a race that each and every one of us must run. This is the same race that we see the Old Testament saints running as he speaks, as the author speaks of in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. We are running the same race as those Old Testament saints. We're running the same race as Abel. We're running the same race as Enoch. We're running the same race as Noah. We're, we're running the same race of, as Abraham. We're running the same race as as Sarah. We're, we're running the same race as Isaac and Jacob. We're running that same race as Joseph. We're running the same race as Moses, and we're running the same race as Rahab. This is a race of faithful obedience to God's purposes in their and in our lives. 
Beloved, I don't know if you knew already, but I'm going to tell you this morning, there is a divine purpose for your life. There is purpose for your life. I don't care what anyone's ever told you before. Your life has purpose. There's a reason why you're here. You ever wake up one morning and say, well, why am I here? The Lord reveals to us that we are here because we are created for his glory. And he wants us to show him off throughout this world. We have a, 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 a general divine purpose that God wants to use our lives to reflect his goodness, to reflect his fame, so that everyone would know more about who he is just from looking at your life. But that's in general. But, but there, there are specific purposes for each and every one of your lives. That God wants to do a specific thing with your life that he's not going to do with my life. Not that he can't do, but, but he's chosen to use you to complete a purpose, to fulfill a call, to complete a destiny that, that he only has in store for you. When you think about the Old Testament saints, think about it. When you think about it, Noah, God used Noah to do something. All of those saints in the Faith Hall of Fame, got, they, they didn't get their names there just because they say, I believe that there is a God. Their names are there because their faith in God caused them to do something to fulfill God's purposes in this world. Folks talk about how crazy Noah is. Noah, why are you building a ship? Ain't no water around here. God told me to. You read, you read the account of Moses in the wilderness, you think he, 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 he's going crazy in his mind that he, he's hallucinating talking to a bush on fire. Moses, I got a plan for you. I want you to go get my people. Abraham, I want you to go to a land that you ain't never heard of. You don't even know where it's at. You're just going to follow me. Sarah, you've been barren all these years, but you're going to have an heir. You're going to have a child. Isaac, I want you to find a, a, a wife for, for Jacob so he can have his legacy. Rahab, I see the, I see the people of God coming, and I'm going to hide these men. Whenever God calls you to himself, he is calling you for his glory in general, but he is calling you to fulfill a specific purpose here in this world. So when we look at this text, we know because he starts with a therefore that is something about these Old Testament saints that we need to be doing too. And we need to be running by faith, fulfilling the call, uh, 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 the call of God on our life, fulfilling that mandate, whatever he's called us for, we got a job to do. And we got a race to run. However, However, here's the issue. You and I are hindered in these purposes that the Lord has for us as long as we allow sin to remain unchallenged in our lives. Do you find yourself stuck in that Romans 7 cycle? You know Romans 7, for I have desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Have, have you been stuck in a rut? Lord, I want to do better, but I just see, I just can't for some reason. Going through the same cycle in life, the temptation comes to you. And you know the temptation coming. You see it coming. You ain't got your eyes closed enough. You see the temptation coming. And then you put up one of them fake struggles. You, you know, like when people about to fake fight, like, hold me back, hold me back, hold me back. Like, you ain't really about to fight. That temptation coming, you ain't really about to put up a struggle. You see it coming, maybe I'll turn the TV off. Oh, I, I see her calling. Oh, you see, the you see the temptation come, and you still fall into the temptation. You rationalize, well, this time it'll be different. I won't go there. I won't do that. I won't say that this time. It's not as bad as, as, as they think it is or, or, or what would they think of me? 
we begin to rationalize our sin to make it more acceptable to ourselves. We begin to, we begin to put lipstick on the pig and, and make it look good in order for us to accept it. Then we fall into sin. And as we're in the midst of sin, we, this, this, is, this feels so good and it's so satisfying. And, 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 and I, I, why, did I, why did I run here sooner than all of a sudden it's over? And you find yourself empty, broken and lost. And then the sorrow and the shame sets in. The guilt. But it's not a godly sorrow and shame. It's a, it's a, it's a worldly Shame. Man, I knew they was, I, ah, I shouldn't have did that. They just using me. So then you go before the Lord with this false confession, and, and you begin to bargain with the Lord. Lord, why, uh, if, if you help me get out of this, then I will never do it again. You ain't saying sorry. You're trying to make a bargain. You continue on with your life, and then you don't see you don't seek any help from nobody. You don't tell nobody you're struggling with sin. So, so, so Satan begins to beat you up while you're on this island all by yourself. And you feel more guilt and more condemnation. And then time passes and you just start to cycle all over again. A famous quote regarding sin says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Another quote says, there can be no peace between you and Christ while there is peace between you and sin. And beloved, this morning, my prayer is that we would genuinely reflect upon our sin this morning. Stop playing games. Beloved, your sin is keeping you from praise. Your sin is keeping you from accomplishing what God wants you to do. Your, your, your sin keeps your mouth shut at, at work because you're you so dirty, you can't tell nobody else about Jesus. You can't be a witness in your home. You can't be a good husband. You can't be a good wife. You can't be a good father. You can't be a good mother. You can't be a good grandparent. You can't be a good aunt, uncle, all because sin has you bound up and yoked up. And you're stuck. You can't be a good employee. You can't be a good student. All because sin has you bound. Beloved, let us stop playing and acting like we got it all together. And let us come before his throne of grace with boldness because of what Jesus has done and cast our cares upon him and lay ourselves on the altar so he can slaughter us that Christ will live through us. So my prayer this morning is that we would genuinely reflect upon the sin in our lives, but also even more so I pray that we embrace the truth of how the gospel actually frees us to lay down our sin because of what Jesus has already accomplished. In other words, the gospel frees you to lose. We, we see this train of thought here beginning in verse 1. We receive an imperative, a command from the author, and it says, uh, 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 we're, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, and let us run. Let us run with endurance. The text doesn't say, and let us sit down, and let us spectate, and let us complain, and let us fuss. And let us be frustrated. He said, no, and let us run. There's a race before us that we must run. And if we are going to run with endurance, the text says, you've got to get rid of some of that baggage. I have to lay down my baggage if I plan on running this race for Jesus Christ. The author, he uses uh, this athletic 
metaphor. And he wants to illustrate that it would make no sense for a athlete about to compete in the 100-yard dash to show up to get into the starting blocks having not taken off their jumpsuit, having not taken off their duffel bag, having not laced up their shoes properly, still on their cell phone. Now, they don't got it in their hand. They got them, they got them new Apple wireless ones. So they, they distracted, they're talking, and they show up for the race. It makes no sense for us to show up and act like we're going to run when we ain't even ready to run. Beloved, stop showing up on Sunday mornings acting like you about to run, but you ain't going nowhere because sin got you bound down. And, and what he's saying is before the athlete takes off, he, the athlete takes off that jacket. The athlete takes off those jogging pants. As a matter of fact, the athlete takes off those heavy shoes and puts on some lightweight shoes with spikes. The, the, the athlete prepares himself by stretching and, and getting into the proper position. You don't, you don't come to a 100-yard race talking about, okay, let's go. No, you get down and you get in the blocks and you, and you strain and stretch your body. It ain't easy to come up out the blocks, but you get in the blocks so you can come out fast. Come on, somebody. Stop acting like Christianity is supposed to be easy. But he gives you the ability to run. So he's using this illustration that, it makes no sense to try to run the race that Jesus has given you and you bound up in all in your sin. You can't play church and run. You can't play house and run. You can't play boss and run. You have to let go of this, this old world and allow Jesus to focus you and to get you ready to run this race. Beloved, sin is a real threat. It is a real threat to pursuing what God desires from your life. Sin is, is, is sort of like quicksand. You're not paying attention, and all of a sudden you step in some quicksand. And you think, well, I just get myself out. And as you begin to try to get yourself out, did you hear that? You're going to get yourself out. As you try to get yourself out, you notice that as you start struggling, the more you struggle with quicksand, the deeper you go. Like you, you moving your legs and you're trying to get out, but you find yourself you're going farther down. You're trying to get out on your own. And, and, but as you try to get out on your own, you find that all of a sudden that, that, that quicksand is up to your waist. And you begin to fidget even more. And as you fidget, the quicksand begins to move up to your chest. Then at some point, you finally realize, duh, maybe because I keep trying to do this myself that I keep going deeper into this sin. And, and maybe you'll have enough sense that at some point to say, help somebody. Help me. Beloved, sin is like quicksand. And if you keep on fighting sin by yourself, you're going to keep going deeper by yourself. At some point, if you want Jesus to rescue you from your sin, you're going to have to open up your mouth and say, help me. Help me, Jesus. Help me, family. I can't do this by myself. Sin is waiting to take you under and to suffocate you. The text says that sin is like a, it's, it's, uh, he said, sin, it clings close to you. When I was thinking about that in the text, I couldn't get out of my mind those sticker bushes. You ever walk through some of them sticker bushes? You better have some socks on when you walk through some sticker bushes. But, but when you get out to the other side, what you got? Them little things on your, on your socks, those little stickers. And you can shake your leg if you want to. But they ain't coming off. What, you got to manually get down and begin to take them off one by one. And in order for your, for your socks to become clean like they was before you went through. See, beloved, some of y'all are trying to just shake off that sin after you done been through those bushes. But Jesus is saying, no, you can't just shake it off. You're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to uh, uh, use the power of the Holy Spirit to begin plying those stickers off so sin won't continue to cling so easily to you. You like a garment that got static clean and sin all over you. 
and you walk in there wrinkled, act like don't nobody notice. Sin is just like those pounds from the holidays. Easy to put on and hard to take off. But this is why sin is a real threat. Because sin always separates and sin always leads to brokenness. Whenever you depart from God's design for your life, you will always find yourself in a place of brokenness. Despair. Things ain't just what they should be. My home just ain't what it should be. My life just ain't what it should be. My worship just ain't what it should be. Because you have departed from God's standard of holiness. But not only that, for the one who who doesn't follow Jesus, sin separates you from God. You don't get into heaven just by laying on, on these holy scales, your, your good deeds and your bad deeds. God is not keeping an account of, well, do you do more good things than you do bad things? See, you, you, don't, get to, you don't get to heaven because you're a good person. Because the text of Scripture says, no one is good, no, not one. And any of our goodness is as filthy rags. Well, what We have nothing to offer God. So the Bible says that when you are not a follower of Jesus, Your sin actually separates you from the king of the universe. Your sin is keeping you from having a relationship with the king of kings and lord of lords. That that your name will not be written in the Lamb's book of life because you have chosen to reject God's free offer of salvation. But beloved, for the one who does say they follow Jesus, Sin won't cause you to to miss out on your heavenly home, but sin will cause you to miss out on all the communion that God wants to have with you right now. You're wondering why you feel like you are just so far away from God. Now, sometimes he, he moves himself so that we can keep pursuing him. But a lot of the times, dare I say most of the times, when we feel ourselves a, a far away from God or we, we this, this, this is spiritual depression, a lot of times is there's some sin in our lives that we just haven't forsaken. And the intimacy uh, of the relationship is just not as sweet. So we're missing out on experiencing God's goodness on this side of glory because we want to do our own thing. You wonder why you keep going through the same drama, the same chaos, the, the same type of man, the same type of woman, you keep going to the same broke-down job, and, 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 all, and, and all of your life is nothing but chaos and confusion. Beloved, first of all, I say if you belong to Jesus, the text of Scripture says that God is not an author of confusion. So if your life is full of confusion, dare I say that God is not there. But, well, you have to be mindful that Sin separates you from the good fellowship and communion that God wants you. That above and beyond, more you can ever expect type blessing. And as we consider our sinfulness, beloved, let us us not just think about the big sins. We should concern ourselves with big sins or or what are called life-dominating sins. These are the type of sins that just take over your whole life and wreck it. It wrecks your life and everybody else around your life. These are life-dominating sins. Sins like substance abuse, pornography, sexual immorality, heterosexual sin, homosexual sin, adultery, Even when we give ourselves fully over to gambling, those are life-dominating sins. You say, how is is gambling a life-dominating sin? Y'all all all know too well that dude who get paid on Friday and broke on Saturday. 
Ain't got no money to feed his family. Big sin. But, but may we not just be concerned about big sins. We should also concern ourselves with small sins or, or what has been called respectable sins. You know, those respectable sins that we can kind of hide behind that everybody don't know or we got enough people that, that do, that's doing the same thing as us that we don't feel convicted. Things like gossip, talking about folks behind their back. They get on my nerves. I wish they would. Did you see what they had on today? Beloved, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he dedicates almost a whole paragraph to the sin of, of anxiety and worry. Greed. I want all the money. I mean, we see this on full display in our government. Greed. Everybody wants what they want and what you got. But we can manifest greed because we keep taking all those extra hours and we're not spending time with our family. I was guilty of this over the holidays, gluttony. Ouch. Small, respectable sins like lying. It was just a little white lie. It was a half-truth. A half-truth is a whole lie. Laziness. And what do you mean laziness? Psalms talk about the sloth. The sloth is so lazy, he won't even, he won't even put the cup to his mouth. The sloth is so lazy that, that the sloth will come up with an excuse not to go outside and get their own food. The, the sloth will, 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 make up a, will make up a lie and say, it's a line out there. I ain't going out there. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. That's in the Psalms. Like, for real. The... the the lazy person is sinful. The sin of discontentment just never satisfies. Can never satisfy you. Ain't nothing ever good enough. Oh, they had they had uh, uh, the plane. They had lights. They had the animals. Yeah, but the animals stunk. got a brand new car. Yeah, but it don't have enough cup holders. Just, just discontent. Unthankfulness. Just a lack of gratitude. The fact that Jesus woke you up this morning. And we begin to presume on the goodness of God that he's supposed to do it. Selfishness. Self-centeredness. Where, where your first thoughts of the day begin with you, go with you, and end with you. And everyone else's life is viewed in relationship to you. You see every situation in light of you and your perspective. The sin of impatience or irritability. They just irritable. That's just who I am. Then you will sin. Anger. I'm just frustrated all the time. Beloved, did you know frustration is a sin? It's the sin of discontentment. I, I'm frustrated because my current situation is not what I want it to be. Because I'm, I'm God. And I want everything to be good. Pride. You're the only person that's talking in the whole conversation. Being judgmental. 
Always worried about someone else's sin when you ain't dealing with your own. The sin of envy and jealousy. How they get that house? They ain't even got a good job. Beloved, overall worldliness is a sin. The sense of when you step out, people can't even tell you saved because you look so much like the world. You dress like the world. You talk like the world. You watch what the world watches. You go to all the everything that everybody else doing, you doing. There's nothing different about it. That's worldliness. You know, it's like when you used to be in those restaurants when they had the smoking section. You, you ain't got to necessarily be in the smoking session section. You just be close enough to the smoking session section, and you smell like smoke. You know how the club used to be? You used to come home, you just smell like the club. Like whoa, I, I'll take I'll put that on me. Yeah, well, I I used to come home smelling like the club. But that's what the sin of worldliness is. That your aroma is that of the world. That if people were to put their nose up to you like, you smell just like them. You ain't got to be doing everything that the world doing. Because, you know, as Christians, we define our Christianity about what we don't do. Why I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't go. Well, but you show a good gospel and you can tell a lie. You smell just like the world. I'm just trying to make it plain because all of us deal with that. There is not one of us in here who can say, oh, I've overcome that. Oh, I'm better than that. You a liar. And you judgmental because you acting like you got it together and nobody else do. We, we are all sinners saved by grace. But what God does is he, he, he gives you a mirror so that you see yourself for who you really are. Stop, stop believing the hype about your life. You really ain't all that. You, you, you really ain't all sweet. You don't look that good. Your ears are crooked. I'm telling you, uh, God wants you to see yourself for who you are in order that he can deconstruct you and build you back up, Romans 8, 29, conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Because, beloved, when you look like Jesus, now you look like somebody. Yeah, When you look like Jesus, now you look good. Don't worry about trying to look like Beyonce and Jay-Z and, and how they look. You need to worry about looking like Jesus because it, it is because of him we're able to walk blameless. All, uh, all of that was intro to set up verse 2. Because that's the truth. Before you accept good news, we got to hear the bad news. And the bad news is we are, though we may be saints, we still sin. And that sin hinders us from running the race that Jesus has for us. But in verse 2, we are told how. So how do I lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us? Verse 2. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Though we may look back at the Old Testament saints' example of faith, we look to Jesus, who is the source of our faith. The author here, he, he's pointing us to the gospel. He's pointing us to the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. In order to lay aside every weight and sin, we need the gospel. And I'm not talking about in a theoretical way that people like to use the gospel, like one of those new 
the new keywords. I'm just going to say, if I say the gospel, then they think I live the gospel. No. I'm saying, number one, in order to lose the weight of sin, you must actually believe the gospel. Here in verse 2, he says, looking to Jesus, what? Who? The founder and perfecter of our faith. The author is talking about this Christian journey, this, this faith that, that separates you and makes you distinct uh, from everyone else. This faith that, that is revealed to us in Genesis 1-1 where God said, let there be and there was. This, this faith that, that we were once born uh, in order to that we would display the glory of, of God in this world, but we have fallen into sin but God did not leave us there, and he has been working and moving and doing things through Israel, through the prophets, in order to bring his people back. But he has done the ultimate work in sending Jesus Christ, and that those who trust in him for salvation and repent and turn from their sin can be saved. You must actually believe the gospel. You can't just know about the gospel. There is this intellectual ascent that, that I, growing up at Vacation Bible School, I know the story of Jesus. He, he was born and he died and he rose from the grave for my sin. You can know that in your head, but not experience that in your heart. Where you know you've been forgiven. Where you actually know that you've been set free. You must Believe the gospel. You must believe that you are a sinner in need of a savior. That you cannot rescue yourself and that your good works and obedience doesn't save you. But you also must believe that Jesus alone saves. That, that my church attendance, that my offering, that nothing else can save me but the person and work of Jesus the Christ. In, in, in his book, Killing Sin Habits, it's an excellent book. Stuart, got, Stuart Scott says this. He says, sometimes we turn to certain sins as a refuge because we are running from our own past. What he's saying is, when we're trying to kill a sin habit, we got to understand why we run into that sin in the first place. And many times we are running to these sinful patterns because of some baggage that we have, some past hurt, some past pain, and, and, and sin was our coping mechanism. And, and in order to actually deal with the sin, you have to deal with your heart and the issue that's behind the issue. You got to understand that though you may have some wounds from when you, you was a child, that there is a Savior who bled and died to heal your wounds that you may glorify him. So instead of running to bad habits, you know what we do. As soon as things get hard, we begin to run and talk to the same people we used to talk to. Hang with the same people we used to run with. But instead of running to your bad habits, the gospel says, no, you run to Jesus because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So the first way that we lay aside this sin in our life is you must believe the gospel for real. But then secondly, to lose the weight of sin, you must learn the gospel. You must learn the gospel. Because the text, this in, in verse 2, is really just a summation of what the gospel is. It says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him. What is that joy? A, 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 a king who is instituting his kingdom. And as the king has come, he is calling a people to be citizens in his kingdom. That's the joy. The joy is the fact that God has called you to belong to him. The joy that he is setting captives free. The joy that those who are broken are being fixed. 
and in the twinkle of an eye that we shall look like him. He says that this is the gospel for the joy set before him, the redemption of all of humanity, the redemption of the universe, the redemption of all creation and the reconciliation of man unto God. He's saying that's the joy. That's what gets me hyped. I'm not a hype because I, I'm going to get my name on a plaque. I'm not hyped because people are going to remember me a few years from now. I'm hyped because I'm making all things new. Every, every single thing that was broken, I'm bringing back new. Your life was broken, I'll make that new. This mountain was broken, I'll make that new. The heavens and the earth are broken, I'm going to make that new too. For the joy set before him. How we say Jesus is doing big things. He says, for the joy set before him, that's the redemption of all humanity in the universe. He, he Before him, he endured the cross. You know, that's, that's a simple word for substitutionary atonement. He endured the cross. Because of your sin and because of my sin, we deserve to be crucified. We deserve the penalty of death. We deserve to be hung on the cross. But Jesus, he stepped in and took our place. Jesus took your place on the cross. That's the substitute. He is, a, he is, he is removing you, and he is taking the, the punishment himself, the substitutionary atonement. That means that he is atoning for our sin. He is taking away our sin and satisfying the righteous wrath of God for us. He is dying. He is shedding blood that we may be atoned for. So uh, he takes all of that theology, all of that Christology, all of that soteriology, and he just says he endured the cross. Despising the shame. Anyone hung on a tree shall be cursed. But he became a curse for you and I, that we, we may receive the righteousness of God. It says, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, you know what that means? He got up. He's seated at the right hand. He got up. On the third day, he got up. How we say it? With all power in his hand, he got up. And not only did he get up for Sunday morning service, but he kept staying up. And he hollered at his boys for a few, a few days. And he was teaching and preaching. He was cooking fish dinners by the, the seaside. And everybody was like, Jesus, you back? And he says, I'm back for a moment. But I'm about to ascend to glory with my, with my heavenly father. Because when I go to glory, that means I got your back even more. Because I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit. And he's going to teach you all things. He's going to help you remember all things. And he says that. And when I sit next to the father, I ain't going to be quiet. But I'm going to be whispering in his ear. I'm going to mediate. I'm going to stand on your behalf. I'm like, father, forgive him for that. You see my wounds? Father, and they shouldn't have said that. You see my wounds? Father, they shouldn't have went there. You see my wounds? Father, they keep, they keep falling down. But you see my wounds? And he makes intercession on your behalf right now. Father, they got a new job. Why don't you give them favor on the job? Father, they got a new, they, 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 they got a new baby. Help them to be godly parents. Oh, Father, they're they in a new environment. Help them to be a light in a dark place. He is interceding on your behalf. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's saying that Jesus has all authority. He's at the right hand of the Father. That's the seat of authority. That seat means that every name, Every tongue shall confess Jesus is Lord, that there is no name given amongst men by which we must be saved. This is saying that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, 
and every tongue shall confess who he is. You must learn the gospel. We must fight against biblical ignorance and learn from scripture. The psalmist tells us that I have hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. You need to memorize some scripture. Well, pastor, you know, my eyes kind of bad and my memory ain't, it just ain't the same. But you know, John 3, 16. For God, no, 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 for real, y'all take that for granted. I teach in these schools every morning for FCA, and I say simple things like John 3.16. They're looking at me cross-eyed. We can't take that for granted. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You got to hold on to that. In those moments when Satan comes whispering in your ear, you ain't nothing. How could he save somebody like you? But for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. But you, what about all those things you used to do in your past? For God so loved the world that he gave. Oh, you need to work out your, uh, you need just to go to church and just be a good person. No, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. This ain't my salvation. And when we learn scripture, then Romans 12, 1 and 2 takes place. Therefore, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your body, the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That means, pardon my French, when we were sinners, we were stuck on stupid but God gives us a new understanding, a new mind, and a new ability to understand and know him. But we have to put our faith in scripture. You can't be a faithful Christian and never read your Bible. You can't stand up to sin if you don't read your Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. We need a renewed mind, right? For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Colossians 2 and 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elementary, uh, uh, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Colossians 3 and 2. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's your hand for get your mind out the gutter and set your mind on what God has in store. And then when we begin to read scripture and our mind becomes renewed, then, then we understand what Romans 6 says, that we are no longer slaves to sin. You ain't got to sin. So no longer can we use the excuse the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you sin. The devil sets up the plate, but you're the one who sits down and eats. You got a choice. But then... As we learn the choices that we that we can make, then we understand scriptures like Romans, the 13th chapter, and the 14th verse where it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He says, you want a way out of sin? Then stop setting up a home for it. 
you need to call the city and say, tear this building down. Because sin ain't going to live here no more. To lose weight, you must believe the gospel. To lose the weight of sin, you must learn the gospel. But then lastly, to lose the weight of sin, you must live the gospel. Luke 9, 23. Jesus is talking to his disciples and says, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. In order to lay down sin, you can't just talk about it. You got to be about it. Pastor, I, I, I'm going to show up to church. Pastor, I'm, I'm going to come to Sunday school. Pastor, I'm gonna stop telling me what you're going to do and just do it. Live a crucified life, but then also we need to live in community. Y'all like community? Yeah, well, other Christian folk. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you think that is hard, then James, the fifth chapter, going to freak you out. Because James, <coughs> James says this. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. If I don't know your sin, I don't know how to pray for you. But I ain't doing this to gossip. I ain't doing this because I want to know your business. He says that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it is working. For the King James, the prayers of the righteous avail as much. We live a crucified life. We live in community. But then lastly, we live under discipline. The discipline of, of, of Bible study, meditation, corporate worship, personal worship. We don't have to wait for the praise team to sing the right song to get us going because we are already on fire when we came through the door. Prayer, giving, service, evangelism. How do we live the gospel? Then we, we do exactly what Jesus did. We endure we despise the shame because folks going to talk about you. But then when we do that, you take your place in the seat of authority. Because when your life is hidden in Jesus, he has made you more than a conqueror. Beloved, when you think about sin, think about Acts, the 27th chapter. In the 27th chapter, Paul finds himself on a boat. And he's telling, every, he's telling the whole crew, we shouldn't go. We need to stay here. We don't, we don't need to leave this port because it's too late and we're going to get caught in some bad weather. And everybody else around him say, ah, Paul, you always talking that, uh, that Jesus stuff. And, oh, Paul, you always, uh, you ain't no fun no more, Paul. And, and we used to do all kind of stuff. And, and, and they, uh, we ain't listening to you, Paul. And they all get on the boat. And sure enough, the boat encounters a storm. Acts 27, look at it for yourself. And it encounters a storm. And everybody terrified. They so scared that they just start throwing everything overboard. They throw their food overboard. They throw the tackle box overboard. They, they're throwing everything overboard in order that they don't sink. They're getting rid of the weight on the boat so that they don't sink. And then Paul, he, he comes to him one night in the middle of the storm, and he says, look, y'all, we throwing everything over, but don't worry now. Because an angel told me, if you just stay on this ship, you're going to be all right. 
come on, somebody. Paul is laying out the parameters for how to finish this journey. And the way that they're going to finish this journey is they're going to get rid of all the excess weight and baggage in order that they can still sail in the midst of the storm. Now, I don't know what storms of life that you may go, be going through right now. I don't know who, what's the name of that storm. That storm may be your boss. That storm may be your husband. That storm may be your wife. That storm may be your child. But if you're going to go through a storm, you need to get rid of some of that baggage so you don't sink while you're going through. But not only that, God has promised us that though we may go through the storm, if we stay on the ship, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right because Jesus said himself, I'm coming back for my people. I'm coming back for those who love me. I'm coming back for those who identify with me. And when they stay in the ship of Christianity and don't leave out, then one day I'm going to call them up and I'm going to meet them in the air and I'm going to take them to glory and we're going to celebrate for all eternity. Beloved, that's just the baseline of how you conquer sin. Because we're all different, we have different struggles, there's other things. But it, I, I believe if you just start being faithful to Jesus and you believe the gospel and you actually learn the gospel and you actually live in the gospel, that so much of that sin that so easily entangles you will begin to fall off. Father, thank you for your word. I ask that you would deliver us from evil. Deliver us from ourselves. Deliver us from sin. Help us to trust in you, to press into you, because you are our only hope. We do love you, and we do thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Beloved, will you be losing weight this year? The weight of sin that so easily entangles you. As we reflect <clears throat> upon this text, I just want you to pause. Don't, don't do nothing else. Just pause. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. He, he, he wants this church, even though they go to church, even though they will make a profession of faith, he, he says don't, don't rely upon other stuff, but examine yourself. And he says, test yourself. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. What he's saying is, don't rely upon your past experiences to see if you're saved. But examine yourself, and when you look at yourself, do you see Jesus? Because if you don't see Jesus, you don't belong to him. Beloved, the doors of the church are open now and the call is plain and simple you may be here today you've been playing church or you 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 know there might be a god but there's never been a time in your life